Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, championship weekend. We we made it. Uh, I think we somewhat got to the place that we thought we might get to, at least on a certain level. Uh, how are you? Are you ready to talk about the final game of the uh, ACC's pre-bowl season? This isn't Clemson, Florida State. <laughs> it is Florida State. It is Florida uh, State, barely. And we did float even back in the summer that, you know, there might be something in Louisville 10 to 1 to win the conference. Uh, I remember that. But mm-hmm. yeah, not under know, these circumstances, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Uh, Mike, we are back. We're here to preview the conference championship game uh, Saturday night in Charlotte. But before we do, we've got some news we got to catch up on over the last few days that. Uh, this this is always a very newsy time of the year coming out of the final uh, the final weekend of the regular season. So a few things to catch up on. Uh, before we do that, just a reminder, if you're watching us right now, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. First off, thank you. Thank you for joining us in the comments. Uh, I see we got Alexis Solaris already in there. Uh, so thank you to the folks joining us and joining in the conversation. Uh, please hit that subscribe button. Hit the, hit the bell icon for more if you have not yet so far. Uh, we appreciate that. Hit the like button. That would uh, also be very appreciated and very helpful from you. Uh, the, the folks that have been watching us this year have done a phenomenal job helping us out with the uh, subscribe button, that like button. Uh, so please keep that up. That much appreciated. Uh, find, you know, find someone else's account, find someone else's phone if you have to. Uh, but thank, thank you so much to the people who have been helping us out. Big time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, let's jump in. We have, first off, we have some coaching changes news that we need to talk about. Um, do we talk about the hiring or the departure first? Uh, let's do the departure first. Let's do the departure. Um, so we found out, Mike, on uh, Sunday, I, I think it was Sunday, and I think that the intro press conference was on Monday, uh, that Mike Elko, uh, Duke's head coach the last couple of years, former Texas A&M defensive coordinator, is going to be heading back to College Station, taking over for Jimbo Fisher, who was fired a few weeks yep. ago. Um, and, and it was interesting kind of the way that it, it happened as we were uh, as we were mid-podcast Saturday night doing the <clears throat> Saturday Night Fever. Uh, the, the suspicion through the day had been building, and it was like borderline confirmed before we went live that Mark Stoops was going to be taking that job, Kentucky's head coach. Yeah. Um, and then it was mid-podcast we found out, seems like that might not – really be happening mm-hmm. um, and then Mike there, there was an important piece of reporting that came out that I feel like we need to share with the people um, and it, it sounded a little bit something like this it's Mike Elko the head coach at Duke next year yes I think so but if A&M fans didn't like the prospect of a Mark Stoops hire by the way old defensive coordinator at Florida State uh, mm-hmm. and a good one. Mm-hmm. If they didn't like the idea of that hire, they're going to love the Mike Elko hire? <laughs> Let nobody tell you that people do not come to this podcast for the most up-to-date, accurate, perfect information out there. Listen, if you had told me, <laughs> if you had told me straight up, Mark Stoops wasn't a candidate, and Elko was one of like two or three in the mix. Our take would have been Elko was the defensive coordinator. 
it makes sense that he's in the mix. I think A&M fans will like the hire. Mm-hmm. The reason why our take was what it was is because Stoops, I think, has, uh, not even I think, Stoops has a longer track record of success as a head coach, Power 5 football, at a very, very tough school to win football games at, right? It's a basketball school at Kentucky. They are constrained in terms of football resources. And Stoops has done a pretty nice job there, repeatedly getting them to bowl eligibility and in, in a lot of years having to be a, a top 25 program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that A&M fans did not like that hire, and the part of the soundbite that, that was clipped, obviously, was the part where we also talked about how A&M fans are psychotic, which I stand by, mm-hmm. 1,000%. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the video from the intro press conference? Yes. Uh, y- yes, I did. Much. Singing the yeah. fight song, doing the saw them off, like, swinging thing. There is one yeah. school in the country, Mike, that would do that at a coach's introductory press conference. And you saw it in College Station on Monday. It's Texas A&M. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, I think our take would have been different if they weren't backing off of one guy to the next one. They weren't, like... um they weren't having you know one guy show up and essentially be hired and then at the 11th hour nixing it i mean it was very tennessee like in terms mm-hmm. of what tennessee did with shiano prior to hiring pruitt it had that kind of feel to it which is dumb because stoops is a really good coach i think actually stoops would have done a really nice job there at mm-hmm. texas a&m i also think elko is probably going to do a good job at a&m so i am not surprised knowing what we know now 72 hours later, 72 plus hours later, that Elko left, and mm-hmm. Elko's now the coach at A&M. It is not surprising to me. Uh, the The minute I heard that he was one of the candidates they were zeroing in on, I was like, he's gone. Well, like the again, A&M is a really good job because if you don't succeed and you get fired, it's generational wealth. Like, yeah, perfect. Sign me up. And then if mm-hmm. you're successful, you know, you're a legend there. They build you a statue outside the stadium. We've we've kind of referenced that on previous podcasts. So, yeah, it's it's a good job. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, he got a pretty significant pay raise. He didn't get like Jimbo Fisher money, but he got like a three or four million dollar pay raise per year. That's enough, you know. Plus all the resources, everything you need to be successful that you just simply don't have at Duke. Uh, it makes sense from Elko's standpoint why he left. Yeah. I think Alexis Solaris points out something important, saying that that job is radioactive. No one's going to p- perform to their expectations. So that that second piece, I think, is is one of the things I hone in on. And it goes back to us saying that, you know, these are psychotic fans. I think the idea there is we have so much money and we are in such a good recruiting ground. And mm-hmm. basically everything that's visible to the naked eye is like there's no good reason that this shouldn't be a, a – top five, top 10 perennial football powerhouse, right? And yet we're also getting close to the hundred year anniversary of Texas A&M's last national championship. Not once since 1939 has Texas A&M won a national title, which begs the question, what is it that we're not seeing and what's not visible to the naked eye? Um, right. And it might be something there. And I, I think that's kind of what Alexis Solaris is, is making a good point on. Um, I have two thoughts here, Mike. Uh, two kind of main takeaways. Number one, we were so close. 
they almost hired Dabo. We oh, were so did. close, yeah, Mike. Yeah, it yeah, almost yeah. happened. Uh, no, I was no, no. Joe so Stradamus close. over here. So like, close, so close would have been them doing to Dabo what they just did to Mark Stoops. That would his, have been close. His name was floated by like three or four people out there once or twice. I mean, we we almost got there. We, I was almost right. Number one. Um, number two, and maybe a little bit more pertinent here. I I think so, there was a couple people have made the, this a, a good point that. I think hiring Mike Elko in place of Mike Stoop, Mark Stoops, is is actually a fairly comparable hire. Um, it's it's kind of the call it the discount Mark Stoops hire. I, I think the two coaches profile very similarly. Uh, both defensive coordinator, defensive mastermind kind of guys um, have shown an ability as a head coach to embrace offense. Um, clearly you're able to develop and build a program, all this stuff, right? The biggest difference is tenure. It, it, Mark Stoops has yeah. done this for longer. Mike Elko did it for like a year and a half, lost his quarterback, and then I don't really hold much of any of the losses in the final six weeks against him. And honestly, I feel kind of good seeing how hard that team continued to play and how, how close they made games you know, at a clear disadvantage on offense. Um, so I think that by hiring a guy who has a shorter tenure but is otherwise a similar uh, profile, to me, this is a uh, – it's like a higher risk hire, but I think ultimately like the, the range of outcomes is probably pretty comparable. Um, and clearly, in terms of what they would have had to pay to get Mark Stoops out of Kentucky versus what they're going to have to pay to get uh, Mike Elko out of Duke is – you could sell me on the uh, the financials of why this makes sense to do from a potential outcomes versus potential investment standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Um, the point specifically that you made, the the discount Mark Stoops hire is, I think, the correct take. Like, Elko, while he hasn't done it, obviously, the tenure piece, right, hasn't done it as long as Stoops has. He has done something similar. He's wanted a place where it's difficult to win. Mm-hmm. from a football standpoint. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Duke and Kentucky are the same football job. They're not. I mean, Kentucky has more resources than Duke, certainly. But that that should profile even better, right, for A&M, seeing what Elko was able to do at Duke. Well, what's what's funny, too, is, well, they have more, more resources than Duke. Well, Duke has a pretty rock-solid uh, top-end top basketball brand, right, that, like, they're one of a few schools that probably has the the financial capital coming in from their basketball program to help float their football program. Yeah. You know who that sounds like? Who's that sound like, Joey? Sounds like Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think Kentucky could probably use their basketball program to float their football program. So like it's, you know, again, it's a similar similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, good hire for A&M from the Duke standpoint. I mean, it's tough. Right, it's tough. Yeah. They, they got an open coaching job still. Duke fans and players were steamed about this. Yeah, I mean, rumors that Elko was telling them in a team meeting on Saturday night that, or I guess Sunday night, Sunday it would have been Sunday night that he was fifty-fifty on if he was taking it, and then Monday morning at like three a.m. he lands in College Station. He's trying to meet with players over Zoom, reportedly the next morning to say that he's taking a job at A&M. It's like, obviously you are, you're seven States away. Like it's pretty clear yeah. that you're taking the job at A&M. Um, 
I I'm in the camp of, you know, things change, <laughs> right? Like, did he? I, I want to give Elko the benefit of the doubt, maybe a little bit, in, in so far as saying like, maybe at the time he spoke to the team on on Sunday night. Maybe this is me just being naive too, but maybe when he spoke to the team on Sunday night, he was a little more fifty fifty than maybe A and M sweetened the pot a little bit. But part of me is also I, like, I almost thought I A and M. I thought I had read that he. He planned to speak to the team Sunday, and then like that got pushed off, canceled. They weren't mm-hmm. they weren't sure if he was going to take the job. Maybe he was, and then yeah, and then it was supposed to happen on Monday, but that was by Zoom, like you're saying. Like yeah, whatever in person plans they had just got canceled and then replaced. And yeah, that's that's also not a great look. I thought it was interesting too that like the national reporters all said that A and M was zeroing in on Mike Elko, but nobody definitively reported on Sunday night that Elko was taking the job. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, right? And, and maybe it was just because we were we were on the heels of what happened with Stoops and everybody reported that the Stoops thing was almost a done deal and that it didn't happen. So maybe just all these reporters were being cautious when they heard that Elko was the guy. But Sunday night, it was Elko is A&M's guy, but we don't know if A&M's the job that Elko's going to take right this second. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of like how I read that reporting. Because nobody definitively said, yeah, Elko's leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until he landed in College Station that, obviously, the news outlets were comfortable, right? So then you started getting Steve Wiseman, right, our friend of the podcast, 2.30 in the morning, post his story saying, sources, Elko is leaving Duke for A&M. Like, that, that was the first we were starting to hear of it. Thamel didn't even report it, you know? So that kind of gives you the idea of, like, these reporters were so they were standing on like tenuous ground, right? Because of what happened with Stoops. It was just like, we got to be absolutely sure before we're going to report it. So that's where I'm kind of at from the standpoint of maybe Elko just, you know, maybe he didn't know when he spoke to the team on Sunday or told people that he was 50, 50, maybe he just wasn't all the way there yet on his decision. And A&M sweetened it a little bit because the reporting kind of backs up that side of the story a little bit. Yeah. Real quick, before we move on, I do want to talk about where does, Duke go from here. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm going to pull up, uh, I got an email, I think it was today, with Duke head coaching odds. And, and <clears> so I'll, I'll mention that. But before we do, just overarching thought here is, I mean, I feel like we're still in a place where anytime Duke has to go to market and make a hire, it's, it's a dangerous, risky proposition. Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, you know, you saw how it fell off at the end of Cutcliffe. You saw Elko come in and, you know, immediately elevate the program. Well, he's being hired now by a, a, a team with top 15 resources at worst. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like is, is Duke just guaranteed to make another fantastic hire to replace Mike Elko? No, they're not. And, you know, w- was Mike Elko an average, above average, or an excellent hire? And and it's so easy to make an average hire instead of an excellent one. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I think we were surprised how quickly Duke rebounded last year coming out of the David Cutcliffe era and, and kind of how it fell off towards the end. I don't think it's out of the question that this thing, you know, if you, if you don't make the right hire here, this could crater out again fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, but if I were a Duke football fan, I'd be pretty happy that Nina King was my athletic director 
she's outstanding. Um, <laughs> she wins she the press conference. Elko? She hired Elko, and she she wins the press conference. Right, mm-hmm. um, Elko, I think, was her first hire after Kevin White retired. I believe she she probably re- replaced uh, Shashevsky too. Then, uh, yeah, I mean that was an easy one. You just <laughs> upgrade Sh- upgrade Shire from the bench. I guess that mm-hmm. that's worked out so far. They, yeah, um, yeah. I mean she, she's. <laughs> She got out right in front of, uh, right in front of the media, on Monday, and said, "We wish Elko well. I'm talking to the recruits tonight. I've already talked to the players. Um, we've already hired a search firm. This is well underway. This is the last you're going to hear from me until we make a hire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like flat out, like here's our process. Here's what I'm doing. And you know, if you like it, great. If you don't, you don't." Um, yeah. She was uh, just leadership in a time of at a time when you need it, right? Hours yeah. after he leaves, uh, you know. And, and I think the one thing she mentioned that was interesting to me is that she was having active conversations with Elko late on Sunday night as far as like what they could do at Duke to enhance the resources around the football program. And if you're having and, and listen, it's A and M. You're not going to compete if you're Duke. You're not going to compete against A and M and resources. But it is encouraging that Nina King is out there having that conversation. How can yep. we sweeten the pot? How you know what can we do, you know, to make this a better destination? If it's not going to be for you, then for somebody else. Like, what can we do? We're willing to invest. We're willing to invest. If I'm a Duke football fan, I'm really encouraged by that. Just like the nature of the conversation, and some of it could, you know, some of it could just be like, all right, well, that's what she's supposed to do. Well, yeah, that is what she's supposed to do. And, you know, we're not hearing those types of conversations at Syracuse and Boston College. Just we're hearing them at Duke, do it, though. Doesn't mean that everyone in that position does it. Like, they right. don't. <laughs> right. So, the fact she stepped right in. Now, as far as, like, the type of coach that they hire, to back to your original point, um, I mean, until further notice, I mean, it's going to be a stepping stone job. And I think if you're a Duke football fan, that's best case scenario. Like, that's what you want it to be. You mm-hmm. want somebody to come in, be really good for for three or four years, and then have that coach go somewhere else, like a bigger, mm-hmm. like a, a bigger school, more invested in football, and then you nail the next hire. And I understand if you're a Duke football fan, that's frustrating, but that's kind of the state of things. You're a basketball school, so is that repetitive time and time again? Probably not. Ideally, you'll get somebody who's going to be there for a longer period of time, but. Like if if you're really good at this, and you keep landing people like Elko, that's not the worst thing in the world. Okay, so then yeah. Duke's hosting a college game day game once a year. Like what 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 more do you want as a Duke football fan? I don't really understand. Especially the playoff expanding in twelve, you get yeah. a really good year. You get a hot Duke, a ten and two Duke, sneaking into the playoff. Like that's your ceiling I as was, a top twelve say. to fifteen team in the country. That's your absolute ceiling. I think. 12-team playoff world, your Duke's football ceiling is making the playoff once a decade. Um, right. Ceiling. And, ceiling. And we'll ceiling. see if they ever get there. Um, right. The the email I got, Mike, top – I, I want to say the uh, top six coaches in terms of odds. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three to one, the favorite right now, Kevin Johns. Uh Existing offensive coordinator under Elko, he's in place right now. Um, he's he's the favorite. I think that's that's reasonable. I think people think pretty highly Fair of enough, him. Yeah. He's in place right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Number two, six to one, Jamie Chadwell. No, do not do not put your money on that. Um, Jamie Chadwell has been at Coastal Carolina. He's at Liberty right now. I. I don't, I don't think this is the job that he would leave for. I also don't think that he's the guy that Duke is going to want. Um, I, I just I don't, I don't believe in that, personally. Hmm. Uh, number three, Kurt Zignetti, 7-1. Trooper Taylor, also 7-1. Um, uh, yeah, you know. Trooper Taylor's good, good the choices. interim. Sure. Trooper's uh, the interim. Number f- yeah. Number five, former... Uh, David Cutcliffe, defensive coordinator and assistant, Jimmy Knowles, current Ohio State defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's crazy. I think that would that's an interesting name to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, I'll say number six, but also tied at eight to one. A man named Steve Spurrier Jr. <laughs> played at Duke. Might have played for his dad at Duke. Um, so that's that's something. There's only one other name on this list, Mike, that that really sticks out to me that I think is uh, – there's probably some value here, and I think if if Duke were able to make this higher, it would be – I think it would be a home run. And spoiler alert, it would – it might have a part of the Georgia Tech fan base in an absolute riot. Willie Fritz. Yeah. If yeah. Duke could get Willie Fritz, A, that is a – I think that's a phenomenal hire. Um, I think they could do it. I, I would have no questions, highly recommended, you know, whatever. But also, yeah, the Georgia Tech fan base would be in a riot having him in the conference a year after they didn't want to wait a week to, to bring him in, allegedly. So there's that. I um, heard Charles like to, Huff. Charles, Charles Huff, yeah, Marshall? Charles Huff at 14 to 1. I, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense for Duke. Apparently uh, he interviewed for the job two years ago before Elko was hired. Interesting. Okay. I would yeah. just hire. I'd hire Kurt Signetti. He's, he's James Madison. He's in his yeah. early sixties. I think he's sixty-one. Hmm. He'll probably coach there until he retires. You want stability. You want a guy who, an X's and O's scheme coach, who will recruit just well enough um, to keep Duke competitive. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew. Andrew from Facebook. <laughs> I know someone who who needs a head coaching job. <coughs> Dino Babers. There you go. Um, the Marshall AD, Andrew just brought this up too. The Marshall AD just had to put out a statement that he wasn't going to fire Charles Huff. 
Yep. Been a hell of a roller coaster for Charles Huff at Marshall so far. We are. Uh, yeah. Jim Knowles is the other name, the, the only name out there that, other than I think Kevin Johns and Willie Fritz, Jim Knowles is the only other name that I would really kind of think is a possibility. Former head coach at Cornell. They weren't great. They weren't bad while he was there. Um, and that was almost 15 years ago. He since was at Duke for, you know, the better part of a decade under Cutcliffe. Uh, went to Oklahoma State for a year, been at Ohio State now for, I think, three years. Is good defensive mind, um, longtime football coach, Cornell guy. You know, he played at Cornell. Like, so I, I think he could fit. But, yeah, I, I would be a little bit surprised if we come away with someone that's not Kevin Johns, Jim Knowles, Willie Fritz, or we'll say Kurt Signetti. I think those are I think those are the four names that <laughs> or Trooper Taylor. <laughs> Trooper Taylor will be five for me. Anything's possible. I I would take those four against the field personally, but yeah, who the hell knows? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I still think it's a stepping stone job, or I think it's uh, you're going to have to get somebody like Signetti, who's a little bit older, who sees this as like. I mean, if you're Signetti, right? You've been coaching at the FCS level and now you're coaching in the Sun Belt, and you're leading a really successful program, you're trying to get, like, one pretty big bite at the apple mm -hmm. at, like, a Power 5-type job. But because of his age, he's probably not going to land, like, a huge, huge job, right? I mean, maybe yeah. maybe he does, pulls a Sam Pittman and lands, like, an SEC job. But um, I think it's more likely that he could land something like Duke and be there a little while until he retires. I think mm -hmm. that's certainly within the realm of possibility. I think he'd do a good job at Duke. He's look what he's doing at James Madison. At you know, second year in the Sun Belt. You kidding me? Like I, I think that would be a really good hire for Duke. Dude, it is it is hard to ignore. This guy has been a head coach continuously at you know various levels, various conferences, going back to twenty eleven. From twenty eleven through twenty twenty three, Kurt Signetti has a grand total of 35 losses. That is not a lot in like in, 12 years of in coaching. In 12 years. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's three it's two and a half to three a year. Yeah. Yeah. He he's currently what in the last two years in the Sun Belt, he's got James Madison transitioning up from the FCS. <laughs> he has them 19 and 4. Yeah. Um they're not ranked because they're not allowed to be ranked. Yeah. And that's the only reason. Like they, they otherwise right. would be. So Right. Yeah, uh, there are much worse hires you could make. Um, speaking of much worse hires you could make, um, Syracuse also made a hire this week. That's not nice. That's not nice. Um, you hate him because he's from Georgia. That's exactly it. That's I'm I'm just biased. Um, yeah. Syracuse fired Dino Babers a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. Um, they have now announced officially that they have hired and and Syracuse themselves announced that they have hired the nation's number one recruiter. Fran Brown, who is mm -hmm. a defensive backs coach at Georgia. Um, so the last couple of years, he has been on Kirby Smart's staff, coached a, a pretty good secondary. I'll give him credit for that. Um, has been a defensive backs coach going back to 2013, you know, Temple, Baylor, uh, back to Temple, then at Rutgers. So, he, you know, guy who's got, uh, got some experience. That's, you know, credit to him. Uh, he was a Matt Rule guy for a while. So, and, and he's from uh, Camden, New Jersey. So kind of from the Northeast. Um, Mike, when Syracuse puts out a, a press release 
saying our next head coach is the nation's number one recruiter, Fran Brown. Do you get the impression that they have a different idea of what their problem is than uh, what you and I maybe think their problem is? I mean, I, I don't think that. Let me start here. This is high, very high risk, high reward. I guess. Do you agree with that? Like, yeah, this, I guess high reward. I, yeah. It's high risk. I, I don't know. I'm sure. just not. I, like, I don't think I'm as. I don't. It's it is high risk. I just don't think I'm as low on this hire as you are. I don't think. Like, did I think that Syracuse, they would go after Syracuse, a guy, a scheme guy? Go is Syracuse's roster a problem because Dino's not a good enough recruiter? I think. I think Syracuse's. I think Syracuse's issue is the scheme that Dino ran probably wasn't sustainable because they couldn't recruit that type of athlete to that scheme. Like, they aren't. He would like to throw the ball like thirty-five times a game, and have it all like run the spread-out offense. And they don't have the dudes. Like, they don't have yeah. the athletes to do that. That like that's that I think is the issue. And they held it together with like popsicle sticks and glue for as long as they could. And I think this really started going downhill for Dino when Tommy DeVito ended up not being any good. I think that's really when this really started to go downhill. After Eric Dungy left, yeah. After Eric Dungy left, because, I mean, we all thought they were going to transition into, like, again, this was kind of pre-transfer portal, but we thought that it was going to be, like, three years of Tommy DeVito. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we saw in, you know, spot duty was that, you know, <laughs> Jesus. What we saw in spot in spot duty was pretty good. I should have brought in Bobby Bobby Petrino. Thank you. Andrew. I can think of one hire that would be worse. <laughs> Andrew. I mean the the good news I mean the good news if you're Syracuse, it's really hard to ride your motorcycle for like six or seven months a year up there. So I mean the Bobby <laughs> Petrino hire might have might have been okay. <laughs> the the ladies have to be bundled up for longer periods of time so Petrino couldn't get his hands on them. Um yeah, I so the the Fran Brown thing. I mean, they're definitely going for a different type of hire, right? I mean, I think they hired Dino because his his scheme was so good at Bowling Green. I still think he's a good coach. I've made that clear. But I think what they're going with with Fran Brown is like, can you get us some better athletes? And then I think they're banking on Brown. Then all of a sudden, bringing some coaches in who kind of know what they're doing, and that's the gamble: is that mm-hmm. you're going to put together a coaching staff that's that's good enough to retain and develop ideally a little bit better caliber of athlete you're not going to recruit to like a top 40 level at Syracuse right um so so what's the point in bringing in quote the nation's number one recruiter to not recruit at like a top 85 level I think you're trying to move up like 25 spots and then have a similar level you have a similar level of coaching staff did Dino have an all-star coaching staff? I mean, he had Sean Lewis, who's gotten a lot of run. But that was, again, that was the first two years or so, and things have gone yeah. downhill since then. He had right. Rocky Long, I, father Rocky of the 3 5 you know. Like, Defense has been mid. I, I think Rocky Long's a good coach. But again, yeah. it's like you're only, your scheme's only as good as the athletes you have, right? Because, like, think of, think of the teams on defense. Think of, like, who Syracuse is on defense specifically. Think of, you know, 
the teams that Syracuse has been playing, right, up until this year when divisions were scrapped, Louisville, team speed, Florida State, team speed, Clemson, team speed. Like, NC State. NC State team speed. They're, they're dealing with a disadvantage on, you know, four or five conference opponents they're playing every single year prior to this yeah. year, right? That's tough. Um, and Dino was con- pretty consistently taking them to bowl games. Mm-hmm. So you got to, like, really be sure. That's the thing. Like, it's a similar conversation we had when BC fired Adazio. It's like you got to be absolutely sure that the guy you're hiring is going to be able to elevate it more in the seven and five level. And it's the discussion we had about Halfley on the last podcast. When we did the recap. We had that whole discussion. Look at Jeff Halfley's record since he's been at Boston College. He's been pretty much a six win coach. They're worse now than they were under Adazio. Mm-hmm. That's not why you bring in the, the and they brought in the recruiter. Halfley was a good recruiter at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. It hasn't worked there. They're recruiting a similar area at Syracuse. So like I don't know. I think it could work. I think it's risky. I think it's different, so I think they're trying something different. I don't know if it's going to work. Mike, do you ever feel like you could recruit at Ohio State? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever feel like you could recruit at Georgia? I think I think in a lot of ways those schools sell themselves, right? Until yeah. you get into recruiting battles against Georgia and Ohio State. Like Sure, yeah. Right? But that's, that's what fine. those are the battles they're in. Those are the battles they're in. They're not recruiting against Georgia Tech, sorry. Like they're not recruiting really. I mean they're not recruiting against not challenging recruiting battles against Georgia Tech anyways. I, but anyways It's it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the um for for a for a Georgia guy that they're recruiting against Georgia Tech with, it's like a guy who's like middle of their class or towards the bottom of their class, like yeah. versus five star. I'm talking like Alabama, Florida yeah. State, Miami. Like we're recruiting against those schools to get top like twenty five players in the country. In the country. That's yeah. all I mean. That that's all I mean by that. Yep. I so okay, so here's my issue. And nothing against Fran Brown. Like, again, he, he's 40 years old. He's been associated with some good defenses, really good defenses. Um, if he's the nation's number one recruiter, I absolutely believe that he deserves a head coaching spot somewhere. Like, that, he, he has earned an opportunity to, to be a head coach. I have nothing against Fran Brown. I had, I'm just be super transparent here. I hadn't really even heard of Fran Brown a week ago. Like, like I <laughs> yeah. couldn't have picked him from Adam. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This has nothing to do with Fran Brown. It has everything to do with Syracuse. And I believe that there's one of two things that happen here. Either number one, uh, Syracuse's athletic director, athletic department, you know, whatever the search committee has a very different idea of what they need than what I think they need. Totally possible. I'm not their AD. I've never been to Syracuse. I don't know. I'm just guessing. So totally possible, number one. Mm -hmm. Or not number- near Camden, New Jersey. Just FYI, <laughs> not that yeah, close. To be clear, to be yeah. clear, not near Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is like outside of Philly, basically, which is not that close to Syracuse. Correct. Um, the other possibility here, Mike, is that Syracuse had a, a list of half a dozen candidates that do make sense with what I think would make sense. Reached out to them, and they all said, mm, "Think I'm good." That's what I think. I think it's possible. I, d- I mean, I'm of the opinion that Dan Mullen rumor was not a rumor. 
There was a I'm lot a, of smoke with Dan Mullen in that Syracuse job. I'm of the opinion that he went up there to see what was going on, and he was like, mm, listen, if I'm going to do this whole coaching thing again, it ain't going to be here. Like, ESPN gotta, is so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I need something cushy like Central Florida, like Gus Malzahn, mm-hmm. right? If I'm leaving an SEC job, like, I need something a little bit more cushy for a, with a school that cares about football. This is why I went on my thing a couple weeks ago about Jeff Munkin. Dan Mullen, like people, you need someone who has a track record of elevating a program and outperforming like roster quality, basically. Like, do I think that Dan Mullen would recruit Syracuse as well as anybody possibly could? No, that's not, but that's not the point is I, I think that at some point you get kind of outside of that really upper echelon of recruits. And a lot of them are fairly, you know, fairly comparable they're all similar types of players you know one strength one weakness different strength different weakness you know whatever it's the coaches that can take that and play to the strengths and minimize the weaknesses that's what a a, i think syracuse should have been shooting for here yeah um i think the the two names that I, i think i texted you and scott and it's ironic that they're both now in the state of kansas but lance leipold Mm-hmm. formerly at Buffalo, not that far from Syracuse, and also then previously won several national titles at D3 Wisconsin Whitewater, or Chris Kleiman, formerly at North Dakota State. Like, these are the types of guys that I think would make sense for this job. And again... Not I'm, those I'm, two guys, but yeah, those type not, of guys. Yeah, like... Yeah, Syracuse didn't get those guys out of Kansas and Kansas State. But, right. like, again, Jeff Munkin, Dan Mullen... Um, there was at least one or two other names that I had, I had floated to you guys that I'm blanking on at the moment. But um, this is just such a, a departure from what I thought they were going to do or thought they should do. And so hope it works. Hope, hope for the best for Fran Brown. Hope he's as distracted as possible over the next month. Um, hope it impacts George's chances at a national championship. I... I have no ill will anywhere here. I am just saying right now, I'm putting my flag in the ground. I I don't think this works, um, and I don't think that they had the right idea of making this hire. Now he's also got to make coordinator hires and do some other stuff, and uh, you know we'll see what happens there. But um, for now, I I don't I don't buy this right now. I don't think this is a good idea. I uh, I have been a fan of college football for far too long to pass judgment on a hire as soon as it's made. So I am not going to do that. I'm going to wait and see. Because there are plenty of coaches that when they were hired, I thought made a lot of sense would be really good. What's up, Justin Fuente? They didn't turn out very well. So I am going to wait and see. I didn't think Bronco Mendenhall was going to work. And it kind of did. Speaking of names who might make a lot of sense for this job. You were calling for Dave Doran's head. Never forget. Dave Dorn's head. Yeah, I was wrong. Look at him now. Now, in your defense, though, Dorn is a much better coach now than he was then. Hold on, hold on. We have a sound for this. You can kiss my ass. There it is. We got the shortened version. Good, beautiful. We'll keep that one in our back pocket. Yeah, there's there's a program builder aspect that I thought they should be going for here. And, and they didn't. And hope it works. 
I'm not buying it personally for for what yeah. that's worth. Is that Joey Weaver doesn't believe in Syracuse football's higher. So didn't know him a week ago. <laughs> Couldn't have picked him from Adam. I have no clue. No clue. Didn't know him a week ago. I hate that's the right. hire. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think the only other coaching change that was really like kind of significant that happened in the last week or so, Pitt fired Frank Signetti Jr. Surprise. The offensive coordinator. I think it was at two years at Pitt, former Boston College offensive coordinator. So when Scott Leffler immediately gets the Duke job, uh, Frank Signetti currently on track to get the Boston College head coaching job. Or the, uh, sorry, the uh, Bowling Green head coaching job. He's on the uh, Scott Leffler development path, I think. Yeah, that's how this works. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this this was maybe the most unsurprising coaching move in the ACC so far. Um, we we were talking about this weeks ago as a a possibility and almost a likelihood is since early October. I don't know what Pat Narduzzi wants from his offense, but it, at the very least, it wasn't this. <laughs> he wants a little yeah. bit more than what they got this year, which was almost nothing. Yeah, wants slightly more than nothing, which that's good at least. Only slightly more, though. Yeah. Um, I I really don't have anything to say here other than what we've already said, which is like this wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I, again, the the bigger, broader conversation here is what does Narduzzi want in offensive coordinator? Didn't like all those points that uh, Mark Whipple scored. That's what I'm saying, right? So he runs Whipple off. Does he want Matt Canada? Matt Canada's uh, jobless now. Can go back to the well. Run that back. I don't know. I mean, it would be an upgrade from Signetti. <laughs> I think. Probably should start with getting a quarterback first. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that in, in Signetti's uh, defense. Are available. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can reach out to him whenever you want. <laughs> Mid-season. Yep. Late yep. season. Uh, Mike, anything else on coaching news? No. Uh, I mean, Jeff Halfley's going to keep his job, right? It would He would have been fired yeah. already. So. Yep. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to keep him. Um, it's just funny. I don't, I don't know that I – I don't think I'd blame him for keeping him. I don't think I would have blamed him for firing him. I, I'm kind of okay either way. Um, so makes it makes sense to me to, to keep him and try it again for another year. I can keep making jokes. So <laughs> that's all I care about. Mike, let's do some podcast business real quick and then we can move on to a couple other news notes and get into the ACC champ, ACC championship preview game, game preview, uh, stroke. This, this podcast brought to you by section one Oh three.com. The internet's premier place for all things. Wonderful Georgia tech apparel. They've got t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, some for men, women, children, toddlers, babies, something for the whole family. Uh, they've got things with the official word marks, all the official tech gold. Um, all these things, it's, it's hard to find these things elsewhere for reasons unknown, but you can definitely find them on section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Um, they've got NIL jerseys for supporting Haynes King, for supporting Dante Smith, Zach Pyron. Uh, Miles Kelly from the basketball team. They've got a couple of basketball shirts that have come out, and and again the uh, the toddler and the baby stuff is is brand new. Uh, I've got a couple things on my on the way to uh, to my house supporting our you know my toddler and my baby. Um, 
Adam Parker in the comments brings up a good point. If you're watching this live right now, you got about, I don't know, maybe an hour or so to get 21% off after the basketball team beat Mississippi State last night. They were the number 21 Mississippi State Bulldogs. So um, at that to that point, keep it tuned to their social medias, uh, Instagram.com slash section underscore 103. Uh, section 103, find them on Twitter. That's how you'll find out about some good deals. Or you can sign up for the email list. They'll keep you updated because uh, sometimes these things come and go, but you get really, really good deals if you are following them on social media. So in any case, once again, section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Really appreciate Stephen and the gang for their partnership. Uh, picture coming soon with my young children wearing Section 103 gear, so keep it tuned here. Bang. Nailed it. Uh, Mike, do we want to jump in real quick on some folks who are jumping in themselves to the portal? Where do you want to start? I think there's one place we have to start. Well, unless you want to save that for the end. Um, and <laughs> let's, let's, all right, let's, let's hit let's off. The, we can hit off top. Hit off top. Well, you want to hit off the top? Yep. Uh, we're a few hours removed, Mike, from finding out, and, and it's stunning unforeseen news that uh, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard will be entering the transfer portal. <gasps> Nobody's sure why it could have maybe something or nothing to Shocking. do with his head coach leaving two days ago. Right. Um, he will be entering the transfer portal and about five minutes after he announced that he's entering the transfer portal, there were heavy rumors that he knows exactly where he's going and it, it's a little bit reminiscent of a situation we saw last year, Mike. Yeah, Just a little bit. weird. Weird. He's in the portal, and it says, no contact. Like, don't reach out to me. Everybody and their brother is saying he's going to Notre Dame. Huh, that's weird. Same thing happened with Sam Hartman, if I remember correctly. And he went to – he went – wait, where did he go again? That's right, Notre Dame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Could the Irish be tampering? <laughs> Yes. No. That's against the rules, Mike. I want to go on a quick rant here about the transfer portal <laughs> because I was a I was a proponent of the immediate eligibility because my argument all along has been, well, if a coach can leave in the middle of the night, we we're just talking about Mike Elko leaving in the middle of the night, then, you know, a player at the end of the year, if he decides he wants to go elsewhere, he should be eligible immediately. The one time transfer rule. I think that's totally reasonable. If you're a graduate mm -hmm. transfer and you're eligible right away, that's a whole separate discussion. That's totally mm -hmm. fine. Where it gets dangerous is when you have NIL. We've talked about this a million times. When you have NIL and you have the portal and immediate eligibility and there's no regulations, you get this. You get Riley Leonard clearly talking to Marcus Freeman ahead of him actually formally entering the portal, right? Because his season's over. Leonard's been hurt, right? So he's not. He's probably not playing the bowl game anyway if he's... I mean, obviously he's not now because he's transferring. But he probably wasn't going to be playing the bowl game anyway, is what Marcus Freeman's thinking, because he sees Elko leave, and he's like, Leonard's not going to stay there. So let's see what he's got going on. I played against him this year. He was really hard to defend for four quarters. It would be great if we inserted him in our offense. Mm-hmm. So he calls him up, and he says, would you be interested in coming to Notre Dame? He says, yes, I'll enter in the transfer portal on Wednesday. And lo and behold, every news outlet had it as soon as he entered the transfer portal. It was like the worst-kept secret in college football. Why is this a thing? Why are coaches able to do this? I went on this rant with USC and Lincoln Riley poaching Jordan Addison a couple years ago when, mm -hmm. when the portal first started. 
I went on this rant. And I hate with Caleb Williams. Then again with Caleb Williams. That that was that was not as big of a deal because Lincoln was well, jumping, you knew he was going with him. But it yeah, was like different. anyways. The, taking the player off of the opposing team before he formally announces that he's transferring is some slimy shit. And I know that and and listen, grew up a Notre Dame fan, didn't get into school there. I still root for Notre Dame on Saturdays. I still want them to win football games. This isn't a, just a Notre Dame thing. This is happening everywhere. Like with my Lincoln Riley point, like this is happening all over college football. And this is why coaches like Dave Doran, when college football media and fans are coming at Dave Doran saying, oh, why do you make all this money? And you're talking about how fans should be uh, putting more money and pouring more money into NIL to help you retain players. This is why. This is not a problem that Dave Doran created. This is something the NCAA let permeate. They didn't do anything about for a long period of time. It went to it went to Congress, and then, then all of a sudden, now we have NIL. Now we have the now we have this transfer portal, the one time transfer rule, and all these players get to go wherever the hell they feel like right away. Nobody did anything about it at the NCAA level, and now we're in this mess where it really is the Wild West. It's college football free agency, and there's no regulations about it. At yeah. some point, you just gotta throw your hands up and be like. What the hell are we doing here? And I don't know when we're going to reach that point, but it's incredibly frustrating. And this is somebody who has been in support of the players, you know, making money off their name, image, and likeness. This is, uh, you know, in favor of the transfer portal and players being eligible right away if they want to transfer. Like, I've supported both of those things, but at some point, enough is enough. This is crazy. Like, coaches shouldn't be just being able to do this. And for the fans, the college football fans who are like, this has always happened. You know, they've always paid the players. Yes, of course they have. This transfer portal thing has not always happened. You haven't had this widespread tampering across the entire sport. This is new. Like, this is is something that's been in effect the last couple years since the transfer portal came about with immediate eligibility and NIL. This part of it is new. This hasn't always been the case. So when people say that, I think it's a lazy argument because it's just simply not true. So it drives me insane. It really frustrates me when these guys are like, I'm entering the transfer portal, and and Pete Thamel at 301 today is like, oh, uh, Notre Dame is a strong candidate. Like, watch out for Notre Dame here. How do you know that, Pete? Like, (laughs) who told you that? Obviously, the player told you that. Somebody's agent told you that. Like, it's it's just ridiculous, man. It's just really frustrating to me. What's the last, like, material thing that you can remember the NCAA doing other than keeping Tez Walker from playing this year? Suspending Johnny Menzel. As it relates to college football, right? Like Taking Reggie Bush's Heisman away. The, the NCAA is For like... Reasons? Like, no... Nope, oh, like, not letting JMU go to a bowl game even though they got oh, into a bowl game. Oh, anyway. that, that's the one. That's the one. Denying yep. that, yeah. What are we doing with the NCAA at this point? Like, what's, what's the point? This is This is getting completely out of hand i um i'm i'm with you i I, first of all and the word that i use when i first saw this happen right is three o'clock riley leonard's transferring from duke 305 he's probably going to notre dame mike that's insulting that's insulting to my intelligence your intelligence scott's intelligence everyone in the chat everyone listening to this right now there's no tampering he, nobody had ever talked to Riley Leonard before three o'clock, and you know what? Give me a friggin' break. Grow up. 
Of course, like, stop acting like this doesn't happen. Like, yeah. of course it happens. And, and it's, I mean, Notre it's, Dame was in Durham this year. You don't know what, what happened. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Freeman, Freeman played against this guy for four quarters. He's like, we really can't defend him. It would be great if he was on my team. Oh, and his head coach just left. Let's give him a call. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, exchanged numbers and texts a couple times. Like, it's yeah. a joke. It's a joke. It's it's really it's, irritating. And the other thing that I'll mention as I relate to this is, you're right, Mike. Is that when we look at this of like should players just be able to freely transfer even with NIL and all that from an objective like player rights standpoint yes mm-hmm. and coaches have never needed permission to go anywhere for any amount of money so yeah they get to go anywhere so who's the victim here I'll come back the victim are fans mm-hmm. fans are the victims here because you're basically punished for emotionally investing in some of these players, some of these coaches, you know, whatever. And, and again, coaches this has been going on for much longer and, and there's money involved and all that. That's the new thing with the players being able to transfer anytime, anywhere for money and, and other motivations, you know, whatever, is that fans are punished and basically encouraged to not emotionally invest in their teams and in the sport. And I won't go too much longer on this, but basically just saying like, that is bad for the health of the sport long term is that people are not encouraged to emotionally invest in it because that's that's the whole point of being a fan is that you're emotionally investing in something and when you're repeatedly punished for it when i'm punished for investing in jameer gibbs being at georgia tech because well he's just going to go somewhere else that sucks that makes me less of a fan of my team and less of a fan of the sport and that's a problem and that that only goes away if there's some sort of overarching governing body that figures out a way to rectify all this and kind of solve the problem. And currently the NCAA is like, "Mm -mm, nah, I'm good. Y'all do what you want. And we'll just tell Tez Walker, he can't play and James Madison. They can't go to the ball. I was going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll focus our time and attention on, you know, sitting on our thumb on like really easy decisions that are like absolute no brainers for the rest of college football stuff that like, coaches and teams across the sport would care about and would actually be in support of they're like no we're just going to rule opposite of that like the tez walker situation we're like you know what we're not going to make him eligible then there was such an outcry that they were like oh you know what? we might screw that up okay tez walker you can return now in october like what what are we doing and the jmu thing jmu is going to a bowl game now but only because they didn't have enough bowl eligible teams so now james Madison's in a bowl game but it shouldn't have even been a question college gonna... game day they're what a week ago, two weeks ago, James Madison is a top fifty team. I mean, I know James Madison lost like to App State that day. They are a, easily a top fifty team in the sport. That's good yes. enough to be in a bowl game. Like, it's just crazy to me. They're eleven and one. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. So in a competitive Sun Belt, it's annoying. Anyways, Riley Leonard's transferring to Notre Dame. You heard it here first. Um. Yeah, Th- these will be quicker now. Max Johnson leaving A and M transferring to North Carolina. Um, sure. I'm sure that'll end up better. <laughs> he's an interesting guy. Like, he's got a really good touchdown interception ratio, but he, like, just continuously loses his starting job. Like, he started at LSU for a time, lost lost out of quarterback competition at Jaden Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, transfers to A&M. He's to back up there. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. This is... He's going to go to Carolina. He's going to be the guy for a year. I don't know if that's really going to work out or not. 
it's definitively a step down from Drake May, but I don't know. Yeah, it'll work. Yep. It could work out okay. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke transferring out of Miami. No destination there yet, as not, far as we know. Not surprising. Uh, unless we just are to assume uh, there was somebody in the comments that uh, mentioned that he's going to pit, which, yeah, sure, why not? Got a lot of Phil Dracovic in him. <laughs> uh, we also saw a uh, running back, was it Henry Parrish, I think, is also transferring out of Miami. Uh, interesting move. Uh, Mitch Griffiths and Justice Ellison transferring out of Wake Forest. Also Santino uh, Marucci. Yep, Santino Marucci gone as well. Yeah. Our guy. Uh, anyone else significant out of the ACC? I feel like there might have been one more. Virginia Tech starting tight end, Daquan Wright. That's, yep, significant. Pat Garwo, Boston College. Pat Garwo. Pat Garwo, Boston College. That's a big one, though. Yep. Yep. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of keep you updated as we hear of any more other kind of big, significant names. Sorry, it wasn't um, – it was Don Chaney out of Miami, not uh, – who did I say? Henry Parrish. It was not Henry Parrish. It was Don Chaney. Um, How about Roscoe Parrish? Yeah, that's right. Roscoe Dash transferring <laughs> yeah. out, of, uh, yeah. out of Miami. So We'll just throw, throw, the, uh, throw the old names in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Kellen Winston. Uh, Mike, anything else on the portal – no, I mean, this is only the beginning, right? It's been open for a few days, so yep, we'll hear more. The, 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 yeah, there will be more in the next couple of weeks. The portal's not even officially open yet. we got a few days. Uh, I think it's December 4th. Was that next Monday or something that it opens? Um, so there will be a lot more after that. Um, also, coaching carousel, far, far. It's still kind of t- tuning up a little bit, honestly. Um, we're, we're on the front end of the coaching carousel, so there will be a lot more. I think in the next month to six weeks. So we will keep you updated on any sort of uh, updates, you know, major significant developments that come from the coaching carousel there. Uh, Mike, do we want to hit the all ACC team? All ACC teams right now? Scott may have the, um, the, oh, whoops. Sorry. My video cut out. Am I still here? Good. Am I good? Looks hear me? Like it. I hear you. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Scott, you may have the answer to this, but what was our over-under total? I know we had the um, on the preview with us and we had Tony on. We were discussing the uh, number of coaching openings. What was our over-under there? Uh, so, do we have an over-under or did we just like pick? You just predict the number of changes. You both said two, Tony said three. I, I kind of remember. I, I think I was actually correct, picking one firing, one hiring away, or even like Mac Brown retiring kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember Tony picking three, and it sounds right that Mike, you might have picked two. Yeah. Tony picking Elliot, which is very funny. Tony picking mm-hmm. Tony Elliot uh, to be fired. Actually, I thought that was going to come to fruition like halfway through October. Yeah. So. Uh, that was not a bad prediction on Tony's part. I, I, I think he was definitely onto something. I don't think that was like a, I don't think that was rooted in BS. I think he was dead serious, and I think that was like well founded. Because uh, yeah, they were on tr- they were on track <laughs> through six weeks <laughs> of the were. season. Like, 
and there were some like rumors with credible people like talking about it. So mm-hmm. I, I think Tony was definitely onto something the preseason when he suggested that Tony Elliott, if it got bad enough, could be let go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Uh, all ACC teams real quick. I I think this a lot. Um, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest gripe I have just in totality with the all ACC teams is I feel like there are it's kind of how I feel about the Heisman, too. There are too many voters. And I think the voters who aren't as in tune as maybe you and I would be. They watch the big games in the ACC, and they don't kind of see how seasons go for teams in totality. Mm-hmm. So when I don't see Haynes King on an all-ACC team, that's a pretty good indicator to me that like some of the voters didn't watch the games. Um, when I see that Antoine Powell-Ryland had like three more sacks than Jared Verse, and... Antoine Powell Ryland is not first team all ACC over Jared Verse. I'm thinking, okay, well, you're picking Jared Verse because he's the best player on the defense of an undefeated Florida State team that's in the playoff hunt. Kind of a name. Kind of a name. So it's the same gripes I've always had, but I think this year I was just kind of looking at it and like another like Virginia Tech specific gripe I had. Tucker Holloway was an honorable mention, uh, punt returner. He's like top five in the country in several punt return categories. And he's honorable mention as a specialist. It's like, I think we're really just kind of going for names. Third team. A lot of these. Third team. Third team. Okay, third team. Probably should have been second team at worst. So we're really just splitting hairs, but it's just very frustrating. Yeah. I thought it was funny that two Virginia players made first team, one on offense in... Uh, Malik Washington, who's very good, deserved, uh, right, and deserved. defense, yep. and Jonas Sanker, and they're just like not a good team. So like it, it was just baffling. Yeah, that that that's always one of the things I I kind of lean towards is you know, Georgia Tech was uh, third, fourth in the conference in terms of in conference record, and I think it maybe had one player on the second team and like one player, maybe two players on the third team, like. Is there like a regional bias here of, you know, we only watch certain teams and, and that and that kind of thing? You know, I, I don't know. Um, the, the I was really, really put off by Haynes King being honorable mention and Jack Plummer being third team. Like some of the counting stats were Jack Plummer's better than Haynes King. Yeah, sure. But like Mike, do you watch the I, game? Yeah. Watch Your eyes, yeah. Scott, Mike, watching the games. You know, you're, you're down a touchdown with eight minutes left in the game. Do you want Jack Plummer back there or Haynes King? Haynes King. Yeah. Like, like, There's you know, a reason we call him Jack Plummer. There's yeah. a reason. He's mm-hmm. just a guy. Um, that bugged me. I also saw some numbers that were uh, pretty damning. Like... There is a case to be made that you know who the best corner in the ACC may well have been. Louisville's Quincy Riley. Because I know you don't know, we're not watching corners that closely. Quincy Riley from Louisville. Uh, David Hale had some numbers on him in terms of just like 
allowing completions, allowing touchdowns, yep. uh, you know, yards per game, like simple stuff. Him and and Miles Sims from Georgia Tech were like two of the nine best corners in the country, depending on a couple of the numbers that you look at. Would you like to know which All ACC team that Quincy Riley made? Tell the people. That would be honorable mention, Mike. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like. Quincy Riley is probably the closest thing that Louisville has had to Jair Alexander since he left. Um, mm-hmm. Legitimately very, very good corner for that defense. And kind of ridiculous that not only not first team, but is an honorable mention. Like, come on. We're better than this. We can do better. Yeah. Too many voters. You're right. Too many voters. And we end yeah. up with just incorrect balloting. It's fine. Yep. Yep. So, anyways, um, first team just – to run it down real quick, uh, quarterback Jordan Travis, running backs Marion Hampton, Jawar Jordan. I think that makes sense. Malik Washington, Keon Coleman, Xavier Restrepo, wide receiver, Bryson Nesbitt, tight end, all-purpose Keon Coleman. Uh, offensive line, Graham Barton from Duke, du- Darius Washington, Florida State, uh, Demetri Emanuel, Florida State, Christian Mahogany, Boston College, and Brian Hudson from Louisville. Defense, Ashton. Yeah, yeah, Ashton Jalot, Louisville, uh, Jared Verse, Florida State, Tyler Davis, Clemson, Dwayne Carter, Duke, uh, Peyton Wilson, NC State, Jeremiah Trotter, Jr., Kalen Deloach, Cedric Gray. Uh, that was Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina. Uh, Nate Wiggins, corner from Clemson. Elijah Jones, corner from Boston College. Safety, Cameron Kinchins from Miami. Safety, Jonas Sanker from Virginia. Place kicker, Andy Borgales from Miami. Hunter Porter Wilson from Duke and special teams or, or specialist player uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State, who was also the all-purpose player. Which uh, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> and a wide receiver. Like he got three positions. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, what was he? Second, uh, third team wide receiver? No, he was first team wide receiver. Was he? And and he first was. team all-purpose. Oh I said that. And first what? team specialist. Like what? Wide There's receiver. One dude. All-purpose and specialist. Yeah. What are we? Uh, what are we doing? Also, like, I didn't see him as a specialist or all-purpose really this year, and maybe I just didn't watch enough Florida State, but, like, okay. And he was hurt a lot. Yeah. Josh Depends. He's good. It. He's, I get he's, he's good. Yeah, yeah. He's but good. three positions but, good? But he's not that good. <laughs> he's not he, that he good. He hasn't been healthy in a Come month on. and a half. I like, know. That, that, this is my point. This is my point about the laziness of the voters and there being yeah. too many of them. And they're all still wrapped up in what Keon Coleman did against LSU in the opener. And they didn't watch another game this year, and they just assume he was first team because of what he did all year. Give me a pr- I mean, Coleman was good this year, but it's just like an example of they they watch like one or two primetime games, they don't watch anything else, and they just look at box scores. It's annoying. Does he deserve just, to be a top twenty-five pick in the draft next year? Yeah, Keon so. Coleman, of course, right? Yeah, top three wide receiver in the draft, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he deserve to have three slots on the All ACC first no. team? No. no. Does no. Marvin Harrison? Like I know Mar- Marvin Harrison is not like a Ten. kick returner. My my point being like, <laughs> yeah, yes, and he's in the Big Ten. But my Marvin point being Harrison like, didn't play in the ACC. <laughs> my point my my point is Marvin Harrison with everybody except for Danny Cannell and I guess Booger McFarland, which tells you everything you need to know. Besides those two guys. Everybody on the planet thinks Marvin Harrison is the best wide receiver in college football, right? Mm-hmm. Would you give him like three or four spots? No, you no. wouldn't. Don't be ridiculous. No, don't do it. 
Mike, we've been recording for an hour and six minutes, almost seven. Um, should we talk about the ACC championship game now? I was hoping we talk about the transfer portal somewhere. <laughs> I was hoping to talk about Syracuse's head coaching hire some more, but you know that's neither here nor oh, there. I guess. Okay. Fran Brown, <laughs> back to it. Saturday night in Charlotte, eight o'clock on ABC. The number fourteen Louisville Cardinals taking on the number four Florida State Seminoles. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Knolls all the way down to a two and a half point favorite. Um, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. This opened at like five and a half or six, didn't I it? I saw four and a half at okay. the open. Four and a half is what I saw as well. Okay. Maybe it was a week ago. I saw like a futures line of like six yeah. and a half yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. And, and, it was yeah. a week ago. Yep. Yes. This thing is coming down. And Vegas, the market. Seems like they do not believe in the Knolls in this game, Mike. Do you? Engaged Florida State all year. And engaged Florida State has been very tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville, they've kind of been... They've been good, right? Sometimes. But I look at their schedule, right? This is kind of where I'm hung up with this game. I look at their schedule and find me the team as good as Florida State. I get that. I understand that Jordan Travis is not in the lineup. I get that, right? I understand Florida State's a different team with their backup quarterback, and we can't just flat out ignore that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the rest of the roster... You look at the front seven on defense for Florida State. You look at the offensive line for Florida State, which has been pretty good. You look at the skill position players for Florida State, which they got a bunch, right? Um, Who has Louisville played this year that matches Florida State in several categories? My argument would be the closest one is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's got severe skill position deficiencies on the outside on offense in comparison to Florida State. Yeah, they don't compare. They don't compare. They don't have Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. They don't have right. that. Right. That's my hang up here. Is, is Sam Hartman better than Tate Rodemaker? <laughs> Sam you sick, sick bastard. Uh, the people have been asking. Uh, 
Rotomaker did not inspire a whole lot of confidence in his first start. But he did go down to the swamp and play competent enough, especially in the second half. I thought he played better in the second half to put Florida State in position offensively to get their skill makers, uh, skill, excuse me, their skill position players and their playmakers in space to make enough plays when it matters down the stretch in that game. Um, Got better as the game went on. Certainly got better as the game went on. Tough road environment. Good defense. Florida's got good defense. Uh, And obviously a motivated team that also didn't have their starting quarterback in that game. But yeah, that's my hang up here is who has Louisville played that matches the level of number four Florida State? And even if you don't think Florida State's the fourth best team in the country in regard to the college football playoff rank, it's your fourth most deserving team. Because God knows we still don't know what we're ranking. Not even the committee knows. Like, even if you think they're a top six or seven team in the country, who has Florida State played to that caliber? I think the answer is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's a top 20 team, not a top six team, seven team. Right. So that's my hang-up here. Mike, how long have you been watching ACC football? A long, long time. And in your experience in watching ACC football... How frequently does ACC football turn out in the way that the most benefits the ACC? Not very often. Not very often. Especially when Clemson's not involved. I would say not very often. Yeah. When Clemson's involved, I would say it, it's, it's historically been pretty advantageous to the ACC, with the exception of like Labor Day this year against Duke. Other than yeah, that, that like when Clemson's involved, it's generally going okay. The, yeah, the whole Clemson reign of terror making the playoff every year. Like what I'd be talking about is, you know, the, the next team making you know the Orange Bowl or you know whatever New Year's Six game. Um, that Pitt, kind of thing. Pitt beating Pitt beating Miami on Black Friday. Right. Camp. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I I look at this game, Mike. I I see a a, a Louisville team with an underwhelming third team all ACC quarterback. Um, I see a Florida State team with a uh, questionable at best backup quarterback who's going to be playing, who might low-key be concussed, and we're still not totally sure about that. That's on the table. We don't know. Um, I, I see two teams with very good defenses. And I've been watching ACC football long enough to know that Florida State – all the. All Florida State has to do, if they win, if they win this game, I, I don't care what people are saying. They don't have to win convincingly. They don't have to win in a blowout. Florida State wins this game. They're in the playoff. They would be 13-0 Power 5 Conference champion. That's it. Amen. It's over. They're in the playoff. But, Mike, I have watched ACC football for long enough to know that this is the kind of conference – and the kind of group of teams that when all it takes is just one thing to happen that probably should happen for the conference to benefit, it generally, it doesn't happen. Or more often than it should, it doesn't happen. So, Mike, for non-football reasons, and, and definitely not for my own fandom, I think Louisville's winning the ACC championship on Saturday. Sure. Why not? It's... It's not for football reasons. It's not for fan reasons. What it's, I, 
because of friggin' course, it's going to keep Florida State out of the playoff and keep the ACC out of the playoff. That's – if Jordan Travis were in this game, I think Florida State is like a double-digit favorite. I might be picking the Knowles to cover. I think that injury at that time, and I just don't trust Tate Rotemaker. Who's got the coaching advantage in this game from a head coaching standpoint? I think it might be Louisville. I don't know. I don't. I think I'd rather have Jeff Brom than Mike Norvell, honestly. I don't know. On the I basis think highly of, of what? both. Uh, yeah, like on the basis of what? Bra- Brom has snuck up on some big-time teams at home before like this is a neutral site mm-hmm. i don't know i and yes i'm with you i think highly of both of them mm-hmm. i i don't think there's like a definitive advantage one way or the other yeah louisville outright uh total is 47 and a half give me the under um i think this is a a rock fight low scoring kind of game both defense is better than both offenses i think um, honestly, I think it's a turnover or two that really kind of decides this. So just for the, for the sake of I've watched this league for long enough, and I feel like I, I can just sort of see what's going to happen. It's too easy. It's too mm-hmm. easy for Florida State to just you know, win this game as the favorite and get into the playoff. They're not gonna, it's not going to happen. Come on. So, yeah, Louisville outright uh, under 47 and a half. Uh, let's go ahead and lock up the under. I'm with you. I'm gonna lock that up. <laughs> you better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Please. This will come as no shock to you. I'm done. I'm good on locks for the year. Like <laughs> I've been hesitant enough. I I feel stronger about the under than I feel about Louisville. But could this game get into the upper twenties? Yeah, it could. I you know I don't know. We've had to like hold a gun to your head to get you to pick anything <laughs> this year. So yeah. I'm I'm not shocked that you didn't lock anything up here. Uh yeah, so I, I mean I'm gonna go with Florida State. I just still don't respect Louisville, really. Uh maybe I should more than I do. I just don't really. Um to cover again. Florida State to cover? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, okay. to cover. I think Florida State wins this game by about a touchdown. Um, I, I, yeah, I just don't really trust Louisville, man. Like, anytime Louisville gets into a game where there's kind of like a battle in the trenches a little bit, they haven't always won that game, right? Like, I, I'm thinking about, there, there are three games in particular. There's the Pitt game that they lost. There's the Notre Dame game that they won where they battered the Irish up front in the second half. And I thought that, that was really impressive. And then there's what happened last week against Kentucky. Where I'm just like, I throw my hands up and at some point it's just like, what are we doing here, right? Um, Did they lose to Pitt and Kentucky because they lost in the line of scrimmage? I think they lost. I think they lost. I think they lost to Kentucky specifically because they lost the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought they lost because their quarterback turned the ball over. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, Joey, whose whose defense whose defense do you think is better, Florida State's or Kentucky's? I think Florida State's. Yeah. 
But I, I will say, you know, there, there is one thing that I looked up here um, before we did this that I think kind of confirmed a little bit of what I was thinking. So if you just look at uh, defenses on – so, again, we don't really love either of the quarterbacks in this battle, right? So then what matters is going to be the no. run offenses, right? And, and both teams, very good running backs. Uh, Trey Benson, Jawar Jordan, uh, Isaac Garendo, like all those guys have been very good this year. The rushing defenses here, Louisville second in the conference, three and a quarter yards per carry on the year. Very good. Florida State kind of middle of the conference, just shy of four yards per carry on the year. So, like, do I th- – I think there's a chance that Louisville could get a little bit of room to run and, and try to – you know, if both teams are really going to focus on the run game, I think it's there for Louisville a little bit more than Florida State. But, of course, I mean, e- either of these teams, either of these running backs, you're one or two plays away from seven, ten points, you know, of, of long plays, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe this is just naive, but I, I mean, I, I just think that Florida State has played better competition. Uh, I think they're more battle tested to be in this spot. I think big game Jeff Brom's a thing, so I'm not shying away from that. Like, I do think he'll have them ready to play. But Florida State's been through a lot this year. They've been in a lot of mm-hmm. big games. They've come out on the right side of them several times. Like, they beat the brakes off LSU. Uh, they came from behind on the road against Clemson and won. Uh, you know, they they beat Miami, which I know that it's Miami, and we were making fun of them a lot this year, but, like, they still got the athletes. It's a rivalry game. They look pretty good in that game. I just think that Florida State's got uh, they they kind of got the experience like battle tested, and I just think they have the athletes on both sides of the ball. Not that Louisville doesn't, but maybe this is the finally the game where Jack Plummer makes a mistake. <laughs> like maybe this is it. Like we still haven't really had that, right? I thought it was gonna be last week. We kind of had it. But it wasn't a situation like I thought it would be where Plummer had to like throw it 40 times for them to win. That's not really how that game played out. So. Again, it, it, if you're asking me in, in any given one-game scenario, sure, like Florida State's got a backup quarterback, put him against Jack Plummer, like whatever. Who do I want the other 21 players from? It's Florida State, I think, over Louisville. And I, and yeah. I think Louisville's got 21 good other players. I think Florida State's got 21 better players. I would take that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, I I just – I have watched the ACC for long enough that I just feel like it's too easy to say, it's well, yeah, Florida State's better. Like, they're just going to – well, we know they're going to win. They're going to go to the playoff. Like, of course we're going to get to Sunday and just not hear an ACC team in the playoff conversation. So, in any case. It's fair. Yep. Uh, give me a second. I need to step away real quick. Hang on. Uh, I mean, I think we're good, Scott. I mean, I, I don't know if yeah. we could just wrap up. Sure. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i give my pick. Do you have anything game. to add? You want to add? 
Yeah, give your sure. picks for the game first. I'll take a Florida State alternate line minus five and a half. Um, I think they're going to win. <laughs> oh. I think they're going to win convincingly just because literally they have to to make their whole season worth it. Like, yeah, Louisville doesn't really have anything on the line. They do. I just feel like they're just going to push for the win there. Um, and final point of the day, Adam Parker pointed out in the chat, we have to give a shout out to the hometown Delaware Blue Hens moving up to Conference USA in a couple of years. The hometown FBS. team, for, former two-time uh, 1AA FCS champion, uh, moving up to the FCS, or FBS in 2025. So maybe we'll get some Power 5 matchups in the great city of Newark, Delaware. It's Newark, not Newark. That's how you know you're from Delaware, just like myself. Uh, dad's an and alumni. Bill. He's bat, Dad's a football alumni back from the 70s, so he's excited. He go. He texted me back when I texted him the news. He goes, I could never have played there if they were in that big of a school because my dad's not that big. So, um, yeah, uh, cool cool to see the hometown team, Delaware Blue Hens, moving up to the, to the G5 and whatever that really means, more money for them. They already spent a lot of money on sports, so, I mean, keep spending that money. Tubby Raymond, is he still alive? I don't think so. Okay, I was going to say he'd be rolling around his grave, rolling over in his grave, if he knew that Delaware was going to be playing some big-time G5 football. But I didn't know if he was still with us or not, so I don't I, know if that joke I don't gets, think but... so. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, oh, but real quick, let's hit the uh, sponsorships, because I did not talk about home right field and seats. Right at the end. Sure. That's, that's exactly where they want their... Uh, their ads to be read. Uh, we are sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Uh, it's post Black Friday. It's post Cyber Monday, but that does not mean that you still can't cop some sweet vintage collegiate apparel for the holiday season. Use the promo code GOACC at checkout for 15% off your first order from Homefield Apparel. Again, they had all the deals for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We were hyping them up last week. If you didn't, if you missed out on that, I'm sorry to hear that. But they have a lot of sweet collegiate apparel for you to wear, for you to get for your loved ones this holiday season. All the ACC teams you can think of, even two out of the three new ones. Stanford not included yet. Come on, Stanford. Come on. Come on, Stanford. This isn't a Connor and Whitney home field fault. Like, this is not, they're not at fault for this. This is Stanford's fault. They got to figure it out, get their head it's out of their ass. It's that dumb tree. It's that dumb tree. They, they would make the tree uh, exciting. A- from a, exactly. from a logo standpoint, make the tree exactly exciting. like Wiz Khalifa would. Promo code go ACC to check out fifteen percent off your first order. If you are going to the game this weekend, use Vivid Seats, VividSeats.com. Use the promo code BCPod twenty for twenty dollars off your first order at two hundred dollars or more at VividSeats.com. If you're going to the game with a couple people, conference championship game. I'd be surprised if you can get in for under 200 bucks if you want a decent seat that's not in the nosebleeds. So might as well use our promo code BCPOD20 for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Even if you are not going to the ACC championship game this week and you go into a bowl game, your team make a bowl. If your team didn't make a bowl, go to a bowl game. Go see an ACC NBA? team play in a bowl game. NBA? College basketball? Yeah. You name it. They got tickets for it. Secondary ticket market, right? BC Pod yep. 20, $20 off, first order, $200 or more at vividseats.com. 
Current gate in the door price, according to our friends at VividSeats.com, for the ACC championship game is 48 bucks. So sounds like you could use okay. more money, get a better seat. Yes. that's just to get in the door price. Or simply buy more tickets. That's an option, too. Sure. Buy more tickets in the nosebleeds. Easy enough. And your Wiz Khalifa uh, joke went right over my head. So that was hilarious. Uh, we, uh, Joey usually does all this. We're on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash BC Podcast ACC. Basketball Conference? Basketball Conference. Basketball. Thank you. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. We're on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Like we mentioned off the top, YouTube.com slash at the ACC Football Podcast. We need you all to subscribe. If you like what you hear, like, comment, interact with us. Uh, We appreciate all of you who joined us live. If you're watching this back, uh, we appreciate yep. you all as well. So make sure to do all that. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. Spotify, Apple, uh, Amazon Music. Amazon Music. Yep. Yeah, please. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Really helps us out. Um, Scott, anything you- else? Yeah, no, I think you got it. Uh, I think coming up next, we'll obviously going to try to do Saturday Night Fever, I think, after the game. Um, so tune here for after Mike gets off work. Uh, we'll try to come and recap the game. Hopefully it's interesting and not a blowout, so it gives us something to talk about. Um, then in the coming weeks leading up to bowl season, we'll probably have multiple bowl episodes. Last year we had two bowl episodes previewing different sections of the bowls based on when they are being played. Um, so that will preview all the bowl games. And then we're going to try to have some season recaps from the non-bowl eligible teams. So that is Pittsburgh, Virginia, Wake Forest. So that should be three. Um, and so that's what December is going to look like, hopefully. So hopefully everyone will stay tuned here. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, appreciate you all for listening. Uh, for producer Scott, for Joey, who's tending to a screaming child, which I don't envy him at all because my child screams too. So RIP. Thoughts and prayers to him. Uh, for Scott, Teas for Joey. Yeah, T's and P's. Uh, I'm Mike McDaniel. We'll talk to you all Saturday night. Recap the ACC championship. We'll find out definitively on Sunday, but we'll have a pretty good idea Saturday night if we're getting an ACC team in the college football playoff. So we'll talk to you then. Until then, go ACC. Go ACC.